of startup that I've been doing that's actually in the space that's been my hobby and uh, uh, occupation for a very long time. When I was in elementary school or middle school, I tried to create a newsletter that I was going to charge to people. Yeah. I think I was using Geos on the Commodore 64 to put the whole thing together. I started programming when I was five. Before I even ended up graduating college, I ended up doing my very first startup. It was the late 90s. I worked in the visual imaging lab. I was doing did a lot of stuff uh, with OCR and neural networks. Basically a massive hack. Massive. Um, so we, our computers had been broken into. Um, we had lost. We had. They were using our stuff for wares. So you made a cybersecurity firm. Yeah. So my first company, horribly named, worst name ever. It was the letter H. And I have to say it. I think at our peak, we probably had around 30 or 40 people. We had the idea, and I called someone at E-Trade because I found their number online, and then we set up a meeting, and I flew. Up. You, when I look back at this startup. I think this is why I, had been, I have been so successful in my career, in that I maximize the number of mistakes you can make in one place at yeah. one moment in time. Uh, from turning down investment, um, to uh, just uh, trying to do too many things at once, to all those things that you tell everyone not to do, that usually takes people 10, 20 years to figure out. Yeah. I did them all in a couple of years. Uh, and I, had the, I at least was fortunate enough to be able to uh, learn from the million mistakes I made all at the same time. Of that, you just gotta go through it and also just have surround yourself with a lot of good people um, to keep bouncing off. So this is what happened, this is what I'm gonna do. And have people call bullshit on you. I, I got out, like I ended up selling some of the IP and that was about, that was about it. But I ended up becoming VP of new products at a company in 2006. And I basically, another startup opportunity comes about where I co-found another company. Easiest fundraising we ever did. We were growing organically at a massive rate. Ended up leaving the, just kind of a different vision as to what we should be doing next and where we should be putting resources. I think I ended up going over to Viacom. Um, Which is I, where I met you. Yep. Um, and I, sp I basically spent about six years there. Yes. Um, through a lot of change. Viacom was a company that liked to, I will say, uh, pleasantly reinvent itself. How does a giant company tap into what all the cool kids are doing? And slowly. I really, how can we maximize what the brands can do at the end of the day? It was a really great, really fast moving uh, part of the organization and our, it, a lot of our work was helping, helping speed along as much of the change as we could. So the product group, we're approaching 10 years in October. Uh, so we've been around for a little bit. Uh, and the way, the way to think about what the product group is, it's think Thanksgiving dinner, just a few more people, you know, like a hundred show up instead of, <laughs> instead a, of ten it's, or so. It's one of the best meetups in New York City. And you sit around, you eat dinner, as you would, uh, and you talk about a top, like a topic of the day, a top, like a topic of the day, and we really dig into a, a featured product. We learn about its backstory, its lessons that they, they've learned in their journey, uh, and uh, we then we the, what is to keep in the, that startup up at night or that product up at night? Because I want to understand what's going on. I want to see if there's a unique angle that maybe we haven't explored before. And that's what I'm really working to do every every month is what haven't we talked about um, in the ten years we've been doing it? Um, what what can people learn? That and that's really at the end of the day what the product group's about. It's about learning. You I can expect just grab to, the mic from Jeremy at any point. It's or, just like, or I usually just encourage people to shout it out. As long as you're not shouting over someone, shout it out. You don't need to raise your hand. You just jump in. Unless you know you have very formal dinners at home where you have to raise your hand, then <laughs> then feel free. It was the thesis of Tafifi. Like, yeah. how did you get here? 
Uh, so when I leave Viacom, my first thought is, wouldn't it be kind of cool uh, to do something? I, like I've, I've got the product group, I have an annual awards, I have a mentorship program in 20 different countries that we also do. It's in all these different fields, and at the end of the day, I said, wouldn't it be kind of neat to do a product management product? Uh, and so I said, what, what do I want people to do is kind of how I approached it. What do I wish people could do better? The idea was to help people do experiments more. And so I go to validate it. So I go, I interview people all over the place. They find out that everyone has this problem. Like they need to be experimenting more. They need to be talking to people more. Yet nobody knew. <laughs> nobody seemed to have internalized that that was the problem that they were having at work. Yeah. That that was why they were having a lot of these other problems that they would tell me about. And this is when you want to do it. You don't want to do it after you've built something. You want to do it now to figure out, am, am I going to build the right thing or do I need to do a different version of it? And the day is that I don't understand why everyone's asking for road mapping software. And that was kind of the one thread yeah. that connected them all together and helps me do a lot of stuff, organize the workflow, but also just get everyone together. Was everything around the roadmap? Everyone knew the roadmap was kind of at the center of their pain, so they all said, I need road mapping software. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know what to how to describe that cloud of horribleness well, 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 around it, which was, how do I manage all the communication around the roadmap, the changes we're making, what's going into uh, the different stages of the workflow, what, how do I, it was basically, how do I manage and communicate what's going on. So it's like a what, roadmap what, social network. Yeah, what's the status is, I, I look at the roadmap as kind of almost like a dashboard. It's a roadmap, but it changes instantly as, as people are learning things, as the new decisions are being. So it helps people also just kind of get better visibility into everything that goes into it. Too, too, too often, a lot of what product management is, it's like this giant glacier, and below the surface is where the product manager usually lives. People see like the feature on top but they don't know that something got requested. The product manager wanted to make sure, are we, is this solved the, the right problem? Is this the right priority? Is this the right resources to be investing in this? Very selective in bringing people into the product. Uh, just as I work on figuring out how to deal with technical scalability and kind of troubleshooting, kind of basically walk before I run uh, with a lot of it. So basically you How do you think you've grown as an entrepreneur? More about focusing on solving problems for people and making sure you're solving the right problems that are gonna have the biggest impact with the most amount of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... Thank you so much, Jeremy. So go to Tafifi, T-A-F-T-A-F-I-F-I.com. And if you have a product, you just may be able to get in and get busy. Yeah, sign up and reach out to me. You heard it. Thank you so much for coming on, Jeff. Hello, Startup Hunters. Thank you guys so much for listening. This podcast would be nothing without you. And also, this podcast is a startup, so I need all the help that I can get. Would you please leave me a good review in the App Store? This would be huge. That's it. On to the episode. Welcome to Startup Hunter, also streaming on YouTube. I'm here with Jeremy Horn of the Startup Tafifi, which is a living roadmap. How is this gonna make sense to you? Jeremy Horn in New York City is known as the product guy. So the product guy is doing a product startup. Yes or no, is yes. that sort of right? Uh, first startup that I've been doing that's actually in the space that's been my hobby and uh, uh, occupation for a very long time. So on this show, I don't know if you've seen it, but we go all the way I've back seen it, all the way back to the beginning. What I want to know, Jeremy, is where were you born and what did your parents do? <laughs> I was born in Western Massachusetts. 
Um, if you're familiar with things like Tanglewood and the Berkshires, that's, uh, that's my area. Um, and uh, so I grew up where everyone goes to do uh, their, their vacationing and watch the foliage change colors. Um, and my parents, both teachers. Um, so neither of them entrepreneurs? No, not at all. Not so at all. what was the first hustle that you can remember doing? First? Oh, first. I think, I think uh, when I was in elementary school or middle school, I tried to create a newsletter that I was going to charge to people. Yeah. I think I was using Geos on the Commodore 64 to put the whole thing together. Uh-huh. Uh, that didn't work out well. Um, Were you able to print it out physically? Oh, yeah, of course. I love it. Um, so already we have a, a, an editor-in-chief, a publisher, uh, you know, a, a junior Hearst, uh, and, um, <laughs> and maybe that's not how you see yourself. But what I want to know is, how old were you when you did this on the Commodore? Oh, God. Well, I started programming when I was five. Yeah. Uh, that's when I started working Do you think your parents... They had to have enabled, I mean, they... Yeah, so my dad... It's uh, not like you could afford a computer yeah. when you're five years old. No. Uh, so the way I got started with programming <laughs> was uh, my dad used to go to the boys club all the time, um, and he used to kind of bring, bring us along. And at the boys club, he taught programming specifically... Oh, so he did know how to program? Yes. Very... Now, did he pick that up in school? I don't know where he picked it up. Interesting. Um, and he uh, basically would take me along and sit me there um, when everyone was doing Logo. I mean, for, if you don't know what logo is, uh, it's a little triangle that you program to move around the screen and draw pictures. Okay, so, very, one of the first programming languages ever. Yep. And what was the next hustle that you can remember after the age of five? <laughs> um, as, <laughs> well, after, after well, because I'd, I basically had always kind of just jumped from doing, I always did a lot of programming all the way from then onward. Um, after, before I even ended up graduating college, I ended up doing my very first startup. It was the late 90s, so it was almost obligatory that you do your, your do a startup if you have so even sure. an inkling of an idea. We're talking Google, we're talking Yahoo, Alta Vista, we're talking Babblefish, you know. Oh, Google Pet, was boring at that Pet, time. Pets, yes. Pets.com <laughs> and the dot-com boom. Yes, yes. I timed it right for the end of that. So yep. I, I had perfect timing. So what was the idea? So when I was working at uh, the Robotics Institute. Um, Which is? At, it's um, Where? At Carnegie Mellon. Got it. Um, and at Which the uh, Uber basically just acquired, but that's yeah. a tangent. That's a tangent. <laughs> um, and I worked, in the, I worked in the visual imaging lab. I was doing did a lot of stuff uh, with OCR and neural networks and all that kind of so stuff. So Edwin Berlinkamp must have been uh, hot on your mind. A, a lot of, uh, I, got, I had the opportunity of working with a lot of like the founders of neural networks and the creators and a lot of like the beginnings of a lot of the robots and stuff that you kind of see. Give me two names of, of, guy, of guys in the, in the 90s who were in computer science, the kind of legends. Oh geez, I can't think of any offhand right now. Um, but what kind of ended up happening as I'm, I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff, uh, the first digital library. And so we did a, we were doing a lot of work there. And what ends up happening is we end up discovering that there's a hack, that's basically a massive hack. Massive. A hack? Um, so we, our computers have been broken into. 
um, stuff we had lost. We had they were using our stuff for wares, so basically illegally distributing images and files. Now, do you think um, this was a nation? Do you think this was just a small group? Oh, it's just some kids. We yeah. I was able to figure out where they lived and spoke to their parents at some point. Um, <laughs> and but what happens is in kind of going through this this this. In discovering them, they discovered that we had discovered them, and they start wiping everything out, and we lost millions of dollars of research. And, but in kind of digging into it, um, we, and I end up kind of, we end up kind of uncovering that it wasn't just our university, it was all over. They were in machines and computers, like it was a massive network. Uh-huh. And, but what was weird about the whole thing is when we go and report it, it always kept coming back to us of, can, you, can we figure out who it is? Do we know who it like? Right, because the authorities didn't really have the expertise. To yeah, so we just they just kept coming back to us like, well, we can't do anything unless you tell us who it is. Um, and so what ends up happening was, you f you find out or I find out that there's a lot of just very simple things that we should have been doing, that we could that were just not being done uh, with respect to intrusion detection, with respect to network security. So you made a cybersecurity firm. Yeah. So my first company, horribly named. Worst name ever, it was the letter H. And I have to say it that way because I used to introduce it as H, and then people would ask me how to spell it, and I would then say H. Um, now, um, did you launch it by yourself? Did you have a co-founder? I did it by myself. At, I think at our peak, we probably had around 30 or 40 people uh, doing it. That way. Um, I, we had maybe about 30 or 40 people uh, working at the company. So, and this so, was during the time where everyone could work for equity. So it was what, a much easier way here, to Here's get what I want to know. How'd you get to your second employee? Because getting to 40 is, is a whole other ballgame. But really, I think the inertia and just, you know, to get from one to two is maybe the hardest. In my time at the Robotics Institute, I always just knew people around the university and just around. And so I always was pulling people for different initiatives or emergency projects, uh, emergency projects, uh, research that we had to do quickly. Um, and so when, I don't even know how the first, it's not so much the first or second, it was, I knew some people and we started doing it and they brought their friends in and they brought their friends now, in. Now, who was your first customer? Uh, so we were working with, uh, there were two companies that we were working with initially and that was E-Trade and uh, the Air Force. Right, so we're talking big business. And, and this was a time when you could actually pick up a phone call. And I, this, was, this was one of my favorite things that you cannot do today. Uh, I basically had the idea and I called someone at E-Trade because I found their number online. And then we set up a meeting and I flew out there and we talked about it. See, that's what I, I love that. And, um, and now, nowadays, you know, Google doesn't have a phone number. Facebook probably no. doesn't have a phone number. And even if they did, like, you're <laughs> probably not getting in that door. You're probably not getting, it's, it's going to be a call tree that's automated and there's probably no way yeah. to talk to a human. This was a very, it, it was a very different time then. Um, and so, basically, what I end up doing, I've d been doing a lot of work with neural networks, a lot of work with AI, um, and so I started applying that some of those simple concepts to network security, intrusion detection, uh, uh, honeypots, really kind of almost like a suite of network security products. And honeypots are illegal to run. Not on your own network. <laughs> Um, and so the whole thing you was... You can go Google what a honeypot is. <laughs> and, and so the whole thing was, it was just, there's just some basic rudimentary things that weren't being done. Um, but I think one of the things, I think, the reason I, I point, I talk sometimes about this startup a little bit, is when, you, when I look back at this startup, 
I think this is why I, had been, I have been so successful in my career, in that I maximize the number of mistakes you can make in one place at yeah. one moment in time. Uh, from turning down investment, um, to uh, just uh, trying to do too many things at once, to all those things that you tell everyone not to do, that usually takes people 10, 20 years to figure out. Yep. I did them all in a couple of years. Uh, and I, had the, I at least was fortunate enough to be able to uh, learn from the million mistakes I made all at the same time. Well, that's what I think the show really is about, is the skills of entrepreneurship. And nobody ever told me, you know, to not do these mistakes. Or, and this is sort of like, and I think there's a lot of people out there. And, and I really think it has to do with the fact that education is like pumping out people to be factory workers, you know, cogs in the industrial revolution, you know, obedient cogs that, that don't have critical thinking skills. And entrepreneurship is all about, you know, how do you be successful? And, and I think there's so, I think there's really like 200 unlocks yeah. um, that each person needs to figure out for themselves. and and. I think it's so awesome that you did. Well, I think one of the challenges that a lot of people have, including myself, like even though I did learn a lot, and even though I, I as I as as I learned that I had made mistakes, I, I tried to figure out what I did wrong. Um, I think that's the skill that I've spent the most time just kind of developing throughout my career, and getting a better understanding is what it means to learn, or what it means to uh, try to uh, try to course correct and, and how to react to a lot of those types of failures and, and what to do about it. Um, I think that's the type of stuff that you just got to go through it and also just have surround yourself with a lot of good people um, to keep bouncing off. So this is what happened. This is what I'm going to do and have people call bullshit on you when you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing something else. Um, so, so the company was profitable. Uh, no. Interesting. <laughs> 40 employees. Yeah, yeah, no, the whole thing. It was just uh, it, 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 I, I got out like I ended up selling some of the IP and that was about that was about it. And did you have investors? I did not. So then you, you weren't beholden to anyone except really yourself oh, and maybe and some contracts. I, I would say I was beholden to the employees, Yeah. Uh, which that just kind of sucked. At some point, what ends up happening is we're doing all this consulting work. And as we're doing, we start doing consulting work to kind of pay the bills. And at some point, you're just, plus I had an idea for a museum, which what the hell am I doing? Network security, museum, 3D technology. Um, and so what ends up happening is we start, we're not working on, we're working less and less on the product. We have less and less time to work on the product. Um, and so I, ha I talked to everyone, I said, here's where we are. <laughs> we're either, we're either uh, uh, gonna do more consulting or I don't know, I don't, I don't see how we can get back to doing the product. So. Uh, and so we just got, it just got squeezed. And how, how did this all come to a conclusion? In what year? Oh man. Um, Let's see, when did the market crash? <laughs> 2001, 2002? Yeah, I think it was March of 2001 was about the end, was about the end of that. Okay, so... I think that, that's about right. It's what about was the right. next step for you? Uh, so the next step was, I guess, uh, as, as I guess my parents might say, get a real job. Um, and so I ended, up, uh, I ended up becoming VP of new products at a company. Um, and, I, and I basically... Uh, I was very fortunate in my career and, and the path that, that I ended up being on from VP of new products in one place to uh, head of product at the next place. Um, I, I was just kind of very fortunate in kind of those places. Also with just kind of the, the, the problems and the challenges that needed to be solved in each of them. Um, 
but yeah, so then you kind of fast forward to about 2006 and I basically another startup opportunity comes about where I co-found another company. Uh, and what this, was that called? This one's called Single Feed. Uh, what did it do? Uh, this one, uh, so back in the, t there used to be a time where you had these shopping comparison engines. They kind of exist now. It was things like Frugal, Shopping.com, Next Tag, a whole bunch of that kind of stuff. Priceline? Uh, Priceline, not exactly. I don't, I don't think. I might be misremembering that one. You know, uh, William Shatner on Priceline. Yeah, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it was so much that. It was more. How do you get? If you're selling products on our first customer there was tractors, and so. Uh, basically, he was selling tractors, and so we basically the idea was there, there's a lot you can do to optimize your data feed, and there's all these places you want your products to be showing up, so people are coming to your website and purchasing it. And so what we what we end up doing is, and I was a co-founder in this one. Uh, and were you doing technical uh, co-founding, or I was doing everything inside the company. So the the my co the co-founder he basically he had come to me with the idea. Um, he had basically created the industry for data feed optimization uh, and been giving talks at conferences, at the Search Engine Strategies Conference for a long time. He was, had a huge fan base there. It's kind of crazy to see him at the end of a talk. Uh, now, did he have, so was he like a serial entrepreneur with a big no, this, cash I, pile? This, no, this was his first one. Uh, easiest fundraising we ever did. Uh-huh. Um, so this time you, you, you acted This time we, we raised money. Your first time ever. Million, and it was basically sit down to lunch, tell him the idea, and here's the money at the end of lunch. So, uh, so what year are we talking? 2006. Which is pre-bubble. So already we're on to our second bubble, which is the real yeah. estate bubble. Yeah. Um, so 2006, economy. So th this, this company was actually, uh, a lot went right. Uh, this one, no marketing uh, uh, to, I'd say to a fault, but no marketing, but we were growing organically at a massive rate. Our first big problem was uh, we, people were using it more than we expected, bigger customers were coming than we expected, more users were coming than we expected. So our first biggest problem was, oh crap, we need to migrate our servers. Yeah, uh, so and then technical we need to, scaling. And we need to re-architect the whole thing. And this is like within so, the first few weeks. So you get in, oh my gosh. So I don't, there's and, a- And wait, there's a better part. This, okay. This, this is the part that, that <laughs> uh, this is my favorite part. I'm not going to mention the hosting provider we were using. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you that we ended up going to Rackspace and it was awesome. Yeah. I loved working with them at that point in time. But what ends up happening is we need to migrate to a new box. So I just wanted to move to a bigger box while we figured out how to re-architect the whole thing. Sure. So. We initiate the, tr the, the transfer over a weekend. You know, this is where you would like shut down a website for like a day. Right, and that's um, your business. And so we go to do the transfer and come Monday, we can't, the we can't get the box up. There's, I can't get the into it, can't log into it. What ends up happening was they lost the box. So they had data centers all over the world. Uh-huh. And they couldn't figure out which one they sent us to. Yeah. And so they literally couldn't find the box you like digitally, we electronically. So we were down for an entire week. Oh my gosh. And we had just launched, I, don't, I think just a few weeks earlier. Yeah. Um, so I'd say that was like the calmest time in my life because at, this, at that moment you're like, well, I guess I just got to wait for them to find the box. Um, so it was just kind of waiting for them to find it. it took, I think it took almost a full, a full solid week uh, for them to find our, our box. Uh, See, <laughs> I would have... Uh, Probably not been so cool. What's you gonna? What are you gonna do? <laughs> I would like, have flown to the data centers myself. You know, they don't know which data center it's in. <laughs> they don't know what city. They don't know what state. I would have hired eight guys. 
to go to all their data centers. We're talking mega data. This is a place that had like mega data centers all over the place, and someone transferred it, and they didn't write down where it went. Yeah. Uh, and so they basically had teams of people looking for a box, and we're a new startup. So you know, at the end of the day, also on their side, who cares? Talk. So about we just lost one company. Talk about being lost in cyberspace. Um, so I take it your company didn't go out of business because of that one week down. No, I ended up I ended up leaving the just kind of a different vision as to what we should be doing next and where we should be putting resources. But not, but not after your first two months. No, no. We, I was there for a while. Like years? Yeah. Um, and the company ended up getting acquired. I can't remember what was the company that acquired it offhand. So, um, you, could, so you, you can still find people, I think, that work at single feed. You could today. describe this as a successful venture. Oh, definitely. Because the company that you started didn't crumble. Yep. yep. So let's let's make a little box and mark it off as first success or as an entrepreneur big time uh, although you're publishing you know back on the uh, the Commodore that, I, I, maybe that's a plus I think my parents bought a copy <laughs> there you go so this is a second number two so you you leave you're you're in you're going off to do different things so what was next um, so I ended up let's see after that, I, th I end up. I think I end up going over to Viacom, um, which is I, where I met you. Yep, um, and I, sp I basically spent about six years there. Yes, um, through a lot of change. Viacom was a company that liked to, I will say, uh, pleasantly reinvent itself. Was it um, Sumner Redstone? Um, oh man, everyone was in charge at some point. Uh, so <laughs> There, yes, it's Sumner Redstone's. Part. He's like the parent of the all big of this. So I started on a small team, ended up moving up, kind of overseeing a giant part of the digital world at some point. Absolutely. So um, we're talking. Um, what was it? Chris Hardwick, a TRL Live, <laughs> and all these major shows. You yeah, know, my job. My job was uh, I oversaw the data, and I oversaw uh, trying to see what we could do. Uh, with content management and data and uh, see if we can kind of craft new experiences from just the whole, from the massive library and content that was uh, uh, Viacom. Is Viacom? Viacom CBS? CBS Viacom, one of those. It's a giant <laughs> media organization. Um, but I think the real key was, you know, while all these websites like Facebook and um, you know, uh, what's the, the video game company uh, that I own stock in that, that's Zynga. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. You know, and uh, all the, the, you know, in the realm of mobile or even before the realm of mobile, like how does a giant company tap into what all the cool kids are doing? And slowly. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was fortunate though. I worked in a, a basically a central group that we saw ourselves as, as, as serving the brands and helping the brands kind of realize what they could do and helping them do what they wanted to do with the with the content with the data just coming up like other other groups that that oversaw mobile and experiences search there are all these different groups that really how can we maximize what the brands can do at the end of the day sure uh, and so, so and so that's what we did but it, it was a slow process but i think we i think the part of the organization i worked in um it, uh, the person it, it's kind of heyday it was under a person named jeremiah zinn um, people might have heard of him, BarkBox, a few other places uh, since then. Uh, and uh, it was kind of, it was a really great, really fast moving uh, part of the organization. And our, it, a lot of our work was helping, helping speed along as much of the change as we could. And all that, you know, 
Comedy Central, all the guys were probably yeah. thinking like, oh, look at the tech guys over here. They think they're hot shots. The pro they, they, they had places like Comedy Central, probably like the entertainment group at the time. Uh, they had amazing engineers. They had amazing product people to really help kind of figure out what to do. And uh, it was really a lot of a part finding ways to partner up with the different brands, the different constituents throughout the organization. Now, where I really met you was not technically at Viacom. It was at this group that you do called the Product Group. Yep. Which you could never really televise or make a show about. Because, and here's my theory. Feel free to correct me. Because it's a bunch of product managers. And these are people um, who work at companies. And their job is not to write code, but to help architect the code and, and, and be a go-between and communicate. And here they are coming to Jeremy's group, the product group, and just airing their grievances. And you wouldn't <laughs> want that. You, like They're doing it in confidence with the assumption they're not being recorded. And if it was recorded, they would never probably come. Oh, people forget those cameras after a while. Um, now the, so the product group, we're approaching 10 years in October. Uh, so we've been around for a little bit. Uh, and the way, the way to think about what the product group is, it's think Thanksgiving dinner. Just a few more people, you know, like a hundred show up instead of, <laughs> it's instead a, of it's, 10 or it's so. It's one of the best meetups in New York City. And you sit around, you eat dinner, as you would. Uh, and you talk about a top, like a topic of the day, and we really dig into a featured product. We learn about its backstory, its lessons that they they've learned in their journey, uh, and uh, we then we what is to keeping that startup up at night or that product up at night, whether it's a hardware product, service, large company, small company. Um, I in fact pitched one of my products about eight years ago to you, and you said, "Come on board." And it was this two-sided marketplace I had created to connect musicians to like graphic artists so they can get music posters done. Yep. And I, I withdrew myself from it because I wasn't seeing enough traction. And, and, and so, and, and I just remember there were great, um, just great companies that you had there that were really, you know, the kind of companies that I want on the show. That well, are, I talked to probably anywhere from five to 10 potentials every week. Um, and these are at length in depth conversations, usually like 90 minutes, I'll really get into the weeds. Because I want to understand what's going on, I want to see if there's a unique angle that maybe we haven't explored before. And that's what I'm really working to do every, every month is, what haven't we talked about um, in the 10 years we've been doing it? Um, what, what can people learn? That, and that's really at the end of the day what the product group's about. It's about learning. And so a successful night is the feature product tells me they learn something they can't wait to go back and try. And so far we're batting 1,000 with respect to the feature products. Um, and then on the other side, I want to hear people, other attendees who came to the event telling me that they learned, like, they learned stuff and this was awesome and they can't wait to come back and learn some more or, and watching people in the room taking voracious notes uh, the whole time. But and everybody is so engaged, it's so fun. It's a round table style, it's not necessarily for everyone. Uh, but if you come, you know, you expect to lean into it. You I can just grab to, the mic from Jeremy at any point. It's just well, like... Or I usually just encourage people to shout it out. As long as you're not shouting over someone, shout it out. You don't need to raise your hand. You just jump in. Unless, you know, you have very formal dinners at home where you have to raise your hand. Then, <laughs> then feel free. So, you have this amazing product group. You've been, you'd been doing it on the side while you'd been working. Yeah. And so then you, you leave Viacom. You're out on your own. And I want to know now, what was the thesis of Tafifi? Yeah. Like, how did you get here? 
Uh, so when I leave Viacom, my first thought is, wouldn't it be kind of cool uh, to do something? I, like I've, I've got the product group, I have an annual awards, I have a mentorship program in 20 different countries that we also do. Um, and I said to myself, wouldn't it be kind of neat? Like I've been, do I've, I worked in network security, video games, uh, data feeds and ETL. I worked in uh, health, wearables. I worked in all these different fields. And at the end of the day, I said, wouldn't it be kind of neat to do a product management product? Uh, and so I said, what, what do I want people to do is kind of how I approached it. What do I wish people could do better? Uh -huh. And so I, tr I first, I first uh, go to validate a product. It's basically, um, which way? I just wanted to get the cool uh, mural uh. in the background. <laughs> You, so you try to validate a product. Uh, so the idea was to help people do experiments more. And so I go to validate it. So I go, I interview people all over the place, everywhere. And wherever they are, I go to meet them at their office, I meet them at coffee places, I go everywhere. And so basically it's your very classical uh, 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 problem validation. Uh, a whole bunch of customer development. So I go Which and talk. Which we know a lot about on this show because how do you, like, to, to reiterate something that somebody said about three or four episodes ago, you can never invest enough time and resources understanding and clearly defining the problem. Yeah, and even now I'm constantly retesting the problem and retweaking the problem statement just to hone it a lot better even now. But, so I, I leave Viacom and I go, I want, like, this is what I want to do. So I, I, I validate the problem. Awesome. Yeah. Great. But then I go, I go to the next step, which is like I want to. Well, can I? Is it? Let's validate the solution, or at least the description even of the solution. And that's where the whole thing fell apart massively. Yeah. Um, I basically find out that everyone has this problem. Like they need to be experimenting more. They need to be talking to people more. Yet nobody knew. <laughs> nobody seemed to have internalized that that was the problem that they were having at work. Yeah. That that was why they were having a lot of these other problems that they would tell me about. So let, let me just restate it again because I think it's so important to both of our worlds. Um, defining the problem, but explicitly defining the solution, you believe is the root of people's failures. Yeah. And, and this is when you want to do it. You don't want to do it after you build something. You want to do it now to figure out, am, am I going to build the right thing or do I need to do a different version of it? And so I tested a whole bunch of stuff. And this is actually really important in, in, in kind of the creation of Tafifi because this is basically, as you can tell from this part, is not the creation of Tafifi. So I get all this data and I don't know what to do with it. I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, no one's ever going to want, no one's ever going to know they need the product. And the few people that were going to know that they needed the product weren't going to figure out how to do experiments. It was, I wasn't going to figure out how they weren't. People have a hard time figuring out how to design experiments correctly or know when they've got enough information to make a decision. It just wasn't going to click. Uh, and so I, remem I remembered all of it, but there was kind of an important part of this. Uh, I'm going through the data. I'm collating. I've kind of made a decision that, hey, this isn't going to work. I'm going to go work at another startup. And okay, so you sort of... That, you, you, got, you got scared, maybe. It wasn't scared. It was, I had all the data. I didn't see a pivot. Yeah. I didn't see what this data was telling me. Okay. And so I looked at it and what, like the smart thing, I'm not going to go build something if I can't figure out what to build, if I can't figure out the thing that people are going to buy. So that you're eating your own dog food right there. Yeah. Like I invalidated it. I couldn't find another, I tried a couple different angles. I couldn't find an angle that was going to work, that was going to solve it. So, okay. Um, but there was a weird thing. 
Uh, and I remember, and the only reason I remember this, as I'm kind of just putting, like cleaning up, because the house was a mess. I just had printouts everywhere and I had piles everywhere. I'm cleaning up, I'm talking to my wife. And as I'm talking to my wife, I'm like, I don't, like, this is like insane. I said to her, I said, the, <laughs> whatever problem people have, whatever problem they have, uh, whether uh, their boss doesn't like them, the engineers won't do what they, they're supposed to do, uh, we're working on the wrong priorities, um, people complain, like, every problem that you could ever attribute to a product manager, to product management, almost universally, at the end of the day, they all really wanted road mapping software to help solve this problem. To which usually when they got to that anniversary, he's like, I'm like deep, deep in the conversation. I'd get to that and I'm like, what the heck? Why would you want that? That's not gonna solve any of your problem. And I remember, so I remember at the end of the day is that I don't understand why everyone's asking for road mapping software. And that was kind of the one thread yeah. that connected them all together. And it just made no sense. Even though there's a lot of road mapping software there's a out ton. there. Or like, heck, use PowerPoint, use RoadMonk. I don't know what you want to, like use road mapping software and it ain't gonna help you. Um, and so, okay, so I put it on the back burner, but I do remember that conversation because I thought it was just weird. It was a weird observation. I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't understand it. And also I didn't really dig much deeper at that time because I'd already dug so deep just to get to that. Um, it didn't occur to me like after talking to someone for an hour and a half, hey, let's talk for another hour and a half. Um, and let's look down this path because usually if you hear that you're just like well this we're in crazy I don't know what to make of this um, but I remembered it and I think that that's kind of the key thing so I go work for two other startups in the meantime um, and I was very fortunate in that um, there were interesting challenges at these startups so very interesting challenges at these different startups but at the what ends up happening was I had this great moment of uh, internal discontent inside one of these startups, um, and, and basically the, last, the second of the two, um, where there was just, there was turmoil, there was uh, 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 confusion, there was chaos, yes. there was just not good, yeah. <laughs> not good. Um, but the not good, all of a sudden there was this, I had this moment, I, had, I was very fortunate in that I was using some software called Clubhouse. Okay. Um, and Clubhouse is like Jira, but nice. Yes. Um, it's like a single page app that lets you do everything super simply. But I was, I wanted to do something very, uh, very, I wanted to bring the engineering team together. I wanted it to work well, workflow wise uh, with the product team. And so I did some very complicated stuff. I met up with this, their CEO. They're located here in New York. And I basically ended up building like a version minus 12 of Tafifi. Um, which kind of, at, at that point, it just kind of helps me do a lot of stuff. Organize the workflow, but also just get everyone together. Tell me your tagline once more. Uh, the, <laughs> the living roadmap. Okay, so. So, ah, so let me tell you. Why is it called, one thing I learned, one of the key things I learned, that no matter what product you build in product management, if people are gonna look for something to solve their problems, what is that thing they're gonna look for? Roadmapping software. So, <laughs> is Tafifi road mapping? Road, Tafifi, it, the Tafifi does have a roadmap. Uh, it's very, it's about, it's a very interactive roadmap, a very dynamic roadmap. But let me, let me kind of back up before. I don't, I don't want to go, I don't want to jump to that piece. What I wanted, what I realized at that kind of epiphany moment, uh, when I was dealing with just some, make like people asking for last minute changes or reorganize priorities hourly, um, was. I realized at that moment, everyone who asked for road mapping software, it was the best way they knew how to verbalize this problem. And this problem was, it was everything around the roadmap, 
everyone knew the roadmap was kind of at the center of their pain, so they all said, I need road mapping software. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know what to how to describe that cloud of horribleness. Well, well, well one, one, one aspect of, of the horribleness and the chaos that you just started relaying to me is technical debt, which is a term yeah. that, that really, you know, when I last went to the product group, there was a lot of people talking about, you know, the sales guys are promising $500,000 worth of new sales, but what they're not understanding is that their VP of uh, engineering and their VPs of, of product are, are gonna say, yeah, we can take that 500 grand, but there's gonna be a $1.2 million build out. It's not profitable, it's not uh, technical, yeah. Maybe this even changes the vision of the company. Yeah, and so again, that's that is a big part of that. That's, that kind of gets at it in that what people were what people were talking about, what they were looking at, wasn't so much can, how do I do the roadmap correctly or what should like wasn't I don't. It's not that I need Roadmonk. It's not wasn't that I needed PowerPoint to to do a roadmap. It was everything around it, which was how do I manage all the communication around the roadmap, the changes we're making, what's going into. Uh, the different stages of the workflow, what, how do I, it was basically how do I manage and communicate what's going on. So it's like a roadmap what, what, social network. Yeah, what's the status is, I, I look at the roadmap as kind of almost like a dashboard. It's a roadmap, but it changes instantly as, as people are learning things, as the new decisions are being made, it's updating the right people with what the changes are. It's uh, making dynamic changes to the roadmap. It's also, hey, you want the text changed to blue? Great, here's where it is in the whole workflow. It's in the idea section. And if everything happens as expected, you can see it'll project that and say, this is where the experiments would be. And if the experiments are successful, this is where it would go into the roadmap. So it helps people also just kind of get better visibility into everything that goes into it. Too, too, too often, a lot of what product management is, it's like this giant glacier. And below the surface is where the product manager usually lives. People see like the feature on top but they don't know that something got requested. The product manager wanted to make sure, are we, is this solved the, the right problem? Is this the right priority? Is this the right resources to be investing in this, as you mentioned? Um, and then where is it in the process? Like, am I looking into it? When, if I'm looking, am I looking into the next quarter? How does it all come together? And a lot of what product managers are dealing with is communicating the big, not just uh, what, communicating everything going on, but also the big picture in an easily digestible way. Like, give it, give it to me in themes. Give it to me in, so I can summarize it on a page. Then let me drill down. Then let me understand what priority changes are going to mean. So if I want to get to Fifi, I'm, I'm a product manager. I have a startup or a big company. Yep. Uh, I go to Tafifi, yep. and is it free? Is it, uh, like, how, how does that work? Yeah, so today, the people who are in the product today, it's free for them. Uh, they, it's, it's, it's not going to be, it's not a lot of money once I open it up right now. The peop, the peop, I'm very selective in bringing people into the product. Uh, just as I work on figuring out how to deal with technical scalability and kind of troubleshooting, kind of basically walk before I run uh, with a lot of it. So basically you sign up, if you end up wanting to talk, people who talk to me and I get to learn about them and their product problems, get prioritized into the product much sooner. So what you're saying is it, you can get onto Fifi if you, if you have the right kind of company yeah, uh, if it's it, right. Yeah, it's super. It's, it's just like a closed beta, or yeah. And I oh, I loathe that. You loathe I hate the any, term I, closed I beta. I hate any company that does a closed beta. 
I so hate it. Okay, so it's a semi-open gamma. Oh, no, I'm going to call it a closed beta, and I hate it, which is why I'm very aggressively trying to get it. I just, at the end of the day, yeah. as a product person, you just want, you want that horrible, crappy product out there, getting as much feedback from as many different people as possible. Um, and that's what, that's what I'm, uh, I'm shy of right now. So I'm trying to get that out there because it's, I just want it to move faster. Okay, uh, so. Right now, I've been bootstrapping the whole thing. I uh, haven't, haven't raised money this time around. Uh, trying to see how far I can take it bootstrapping. I might, I might end up caving to investment in, in the end, uh, but we're, we're trying to uh, keep it uh, lean and small at the so moment. So here's what I think you need to know. Jeremy has a long track record, over 20 years of entrepreneurship in the trenches and with some successful exits. But on top of that, he's made it his personal mission over the last 10 years to be surrounded by product managers all day. So he is really interested in efficiency and making products better from, from the inside and just like helping corporate DNA heal itself. Um, so final question on this show, and I think sure. it's the most important question. Um, how do you think you've grown as an entrepreneur? I think when I started out, I've always been about, I mentioned about learning, and I always kind of, at the all at the beginning of my career, I kind of saw myself inventor and artist. I did oil painting, charcoal, a whole bunch of stuff. But it was, it was inventor and artist. And when you're an inventor, it's, you're solving problems for people, but it wasn't about, uh, it, it was almost more about the idea when you're an inventor. Like, ooh, look what I created. Let's, let's see what we can do with it. Um, and I think a lot of my own journey, it's been about shifting my perspective from solving problems or basically inventing, uh, creating cool things. Uh, and it's been, a, it's, been, it's been a journey to uh, a change in focus to where it's been more about focusing on solving problems for people and making sure you're solving the right problems that are gonna have the biggest impact with the most amount of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been, when you think about how I've changed as an entrepreneur, I always loved creating things. I always have been very iterative. I've always been, let's throw something at a wall and see what works. Um, but it's really, at the end of the day, it's, it's really been about how can I identify the right problems and am I helping people? Thank you so much, Jeremy. So go to Tafifi, T-A-F. T-A-F-I-F-I.com. And if you have a product, you just may be able to get in and get busy. Yeah, sign up and reach out to me. You heard it. Thank you so much for coming on, Jeremy. Yep.